Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Monday, December 20th, 2021. Merry Christmas and welcome to the Guy Benson Show, a new broadcast week here on the program. I'll be here today and tomorrow and Wednesday and Thursday. Brand new shows leading up to Christmas here. So glad to have each and every one of you listening every day. It means a lot. Thank you. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. GuyBensonShow.com. We air 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. That's the live airing. And if you missed that, there's a podcast free of charge, on demand every day, GuyBensonShow.com. I was on Outnumbered earlier as co-host today, part of my role as a Fox News contributor. A lot of TV coming up later on in the week. Gutfeld tomorrow, sitting in for Kennedy Wednesday. I think I got America's Newsroom. I think Martha. There's a lot happening. And we will bring you those updates as we see fit and as we have them in the coming days as I head up to the Big Apple after today's show. Speaking of today's show, here's the lineup. Later this hour, Katie Pavlich is going to be here. My colleague and friend will get her reaction to the news of the day. And we'll talk about what she did over the weekend. I think a very admirable thing that she took part in. In our final hour today, Howie Kurtz is going to swing by. Actually, that's in our next hour, as a matter of fact. Howie Kurtz will be here, and we will talk to him about media coverage of Omicron, media coverage of our lead story that we will get to here in just a moment, media coverage of, or lack thereof, a difficult exchange between the vice president and an interviewer that has gone viral on the right, but is basically nowhere to be found in much of the news media. Howie, host of Media Buzz, will join us on all of those things. And coming up one hour from now, As we kick off our middle second hour of the program, Senator Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, he is going to be here for his first national interview since the earthquake of yesterday and Fox News Sunday and Joe Manchin's interview with Brett Baer on Build Back Better, effectively killing the Biden spending agenda. We will address all of that, and I will have many thoughts to share with you, but I am very much looking forward to asking Senator McConnell about Manchin's decision, what the implications are, the pile-on, the vicious attacks being directed at Manchin from the left. Is there maybe a greater likelihood that Manchin might at least be more open to considering a party switch? He's reportedly getting closer and closer with McConnell. Is that true? We'll ask McConnell about that. Plus, we'll play some audio for the senator. There's just a lot to get to with him. That's an interview that you do not want to miss coming up an hour from now. Mitch McConnell. 
here on The Guy Benson Show. Fox News alert as we begin the program today. We're keeping our eye on the White House press briefing. Jen Psaki's out there. I wonder if she's going to circle back to some of her attacks against Joe Manchin yesterday. We will delve into that here momentarily. If there's any major news coming out of that briefing at the White House, we will let you know about it. Let's bring you stats on COVID as well. 50.8 million confirmed cases of COVID all in cumulatively in the United States. And Omicron, which is the new variant, is extremely transmissible. And so, I mean, I don't even know if if we should call them breakthrough cases anymore. We'll have a doctor on the show here, I believe, tomorrow. That'll be an interesting question to ask because there are a lot of people who are getting cases. And if you're fully vaccinated and you have a booster shot, the likelihood of contracting the virus is lower. It is absolutely very helpful against a severe case or needing to be hospitalized or, God forbid, dying. Those odds are much, much lower with the full complement of three shots. But the vaccines are not stopping transmission broadly in our society. And for reasons that we've explained a few different times, what seems to be the silver lining or good news is that Omicron does not appear to be nearly as virulent or deadly as Delta. And evidence to that effect continues to pile up. And we talked about some of those strands of evidence last week on the show with Dr. Marty McCary. The death toll, people dying with or of COVID in the United States, again, cumulatively here, is now 804,916. The Dow, I think, experiencing up on Wall Street some of the concerns, one might call it a panic, over Omicron and and the spiking caseload in the United States and elsewhere, the Dow is down significantly, down 524 points, now 530 points. Currently trading at 34,835. We'll bring you an update at the end of the trading day in a little over 45 minutes. So I can't imagine at this point that you would have missed this, but I woke up from a wedding celebration, perhaps with a slight headache on Sunday morning, yesterday morning, and I opened up my Twitter and news was exploding in a Fox News Sunday exclusive with Brett Bayer hosting. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat West Virginia, announced that he is a no, a firm no on Build Back Better, this $5 trillion boondoggle that the Democrats have been trying to sell to us through all sorts of gimmicks, half-truths, untruths, assertion, all of it. Because it's a 50-50 Senate, Democrats cannot lose a single vote. All the House Democrats already walked the plank on this one. There's the one exception. Every other House Democrat voted with Nancy Pelosi, and then the question was, what about the Senate? And it sounds very much like Joe Manchin hit a wall and said, you know what? This is not going to work out. I'm done here. Cut one. Here's what it sounded like. So when you have these things coming at you the way they are right now, uh, I've always said this, Brett, if I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot 
vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is this is a no. This is a no. Wow. So there was a bit of a meltdown. And we've been hearing progressives, and it's not just progressives. The White House put out a blistering statement attacking Manchin, accusing him of going back on his word, which is a pretty heavy accusation. I think something that he would probably take personally. I think it's untrue. We'll explain why here in a second. The media, of course, is piling on Senator Manchin. So many of these headlines, one man to derail entire agenda. Well, here's a little newsflash. It's not one man. There are 50 elected Republican senators. Every last one of them is against this bill. Some of them, a good number of them actually voted for the infrastructure bill. None of them supported this because it is so unbelievably unaffordable and reckless and filled with horrible provisions. I know every House Democrat decided that they were going to vote to raise taxes on the middle class and give millionaires a tax break. But none of the Republicans wanted to do that or spend $5 trillion, which would add $3 trillion to new deficits, according to the CBO. It's not one man, Joe Manchin. It's at least 51 senators. Last I checked, that's a majority of the U.S. Senate. And, of course, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, she was not there on this bill. There are reports that there are a few other Democratic senators who are not eager to support Build Back Better. He'll take the criticism, but there's a majority and perhaps 52, 53, 54 votes against this thing in the U.S. Senate. And it's being treated like it is an outright assault on the planet, our environment, the nation, and our very Republican democracy. I mean, it's so over the top. And I will probably raise this with Howie later on in our next hour, but I could not help but notice the tone of the coverage from the press did not really resemble what we saw, for example, with John McCain when he voted down Obamacare repeal under the previous administration, right? He walked into the Senate chamber and did the thumbs down and Chuck Schumer cheered, that whole thing. John McCain was courageous, putting his country above his party, country first. He was a maverick. Truth to power, all that stuff. And then a very similar dynamic plays out here. But it's the wrong sort of outcome, which hurts the party that the journalists belong to, the Democratic Party. And so he's not really being treated with the glowing sort of John McCain halo from the press. I think that's interesting. Meanwhile, progressives are just, uh, I mean, it's, it's a tantrum. They're having a huge tantrum. The White House joined in, as I mentioned, with their statement. Here's just a little taste of what the progressives have been saying in the last 24 plus hours about Manchin and his decision cut for. If he doesn't have the courage to do the right thing for the working families of West Virginia and America, let him vote no in front of the whole world. We, we all knew that uh, Senator Manchin couldn't be trusted. Um, you know, the, the excuses that he just made, um, I think, are complete. He has continued to move the goalpost. He has never negotiated in good faith. 
and he is obstructing the president's agenda. And I'm going to be looking for the phone number to the ghost of Christmas past, present and future or the email address to see if they can go and see about Scrooge on um, on uh, Christmas Eve. I'm sorry, not Scrooge, uh, Senator Matt. Yeah, so how very clever. So that's some squad members and Senator Sanders. And they all seem to know what the people of West Virginia want better than the senator from West Virginia. In a state where Democrats routinely get absolutely crushed, Manchin wins. Almost as if he realizes that the people of West Virginia are not similar ideologically to the residents of Seattle or Oakland or the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So they're raging. AOC was going off, of course. Like, oh, we've got we've to do something about this. All right, primary him. Move. Move to West Virginia, AOC. Give uh, Joe Manchin a primary challenge. See how that goes for you. Wasn't she the one who was mentioning that doing nothing would actually be better than doing something not good enough? Well, now she's got her wish. Nothing. It's preferable, right, to a pared-down bill based on her standard. I wonder if she stands by that. So there was uh, quite a lot of drama behind this. Politico had the TikTok 30 minutes before Manchin was going to go on with Brett on Fox News Sunday. They had an aide call the White House and Democratic leadership and say, by the way, he's about to go do this. And the White House was caught, they say, totally off guard. They tried to call him. And he wouldn't accept a call from the White House. He's like, I'm going to go do this. And then there have been people just dumping all over him. Democratic senators. Democratic members of Congress. And I don't know what they think they're accomplishing. Certainly, I don't know what the White House thinks they're doing. Right. They're obviously and understandably from their perspective, frustrated. But he, Manchin, has been saying exactly what he would or would not do the whole time. And there are receipts. There's evidence. Remember back in July, it emerged that he had sent a memo to Chuck Schumer laying out what he could do, what he was willing to support. He had all his bullet points. If the bill looks like this, I can vote for it. Narrator, the bill that passed the House did not look like the Manchin memo. And this wasn't some random memo that no one ever saw. Chuck Schumer signed it. Chuck Schumer acknowledged the Democratic leader, the Senate Majority Leader, acknowledged what Manchin had told him. He signed the document. This was months ago. Manchin's been saying, I'm concerned about the deficits and debt. I'm concerned about budget gimmicks. I'm concerned about inflation. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I'm not willing to do. And I guess either his fellow Democrats weren't listening to him or didn't actually believe that he meant these things. But obviously he meant these things. Perhaps in the new year, they will do a total reboot. It wouldn't even be Build Back Better anymore. It'd be some very, very skeletal version. Maybe they will revisit it. Or maybe this thing is just absolutely dead. And it's a really bold move for the White House to lash out the way that they have, considering that it is a 50-50 Senate. They need his vote literally for everything. And to publicly you know, throw rocks at his integrity and his honesty, saying, oh, the, he betrayed his word. Well, we actually know what his position was because he's been saying it to anyone who will listen for the last half year or so. So I think they're just having a big sort of uh, screaming, kicking, fists on the ground 
toddler tantrum. I'm not sure that that's effective or good politics, but that's what happened over the weekend. And I am very eager in the next hour to talk to Senator McConnell about all of this. There are some curiosities that I have, and I'd imagine you probably do too, and we will ask him those questions when he is here. We are just getting started. A new week on The Guy Benson Show. Big program ahead. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We will be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. I'm Guy Benson. Thanks for listening to The Guy Benson Show. Well, a week ago, tonight, so last Monday, I was on Special Report on the panel. And there's a regular installment on the panel called Tomorrow's Headlines, where you're supposed to give the next day's headline in advance. And you can be serious about it. You can be jokey about it, making a prediction. This is one of the easiest predictions that I've ever made, as Tomorrow's Headline last week cut 24. Washington, D.C. reimposes COVID restrictions and mandates. It may not be tomorrow, but I feel it coming based on what's happening in New York and California. And breaking news today, it's back. The indoor mask mandate has been reinstated by Mayor Muriel Bowser. This can only mean one thing, by the way. She must have had her Christmas party this past weekend. Got to get that Christmas party in. Then bring the mandate back. That's what she did last time with her birthday party. She had her birthday party, then a mask mandate, which she immediately violated at a wedding. Then accused a journalist of lying about it, but there was footage. So the mask mandate is back. She's declared a state of emergency in Washington, D.C. And look, I'm, I'll get into more of this later on. We'll have a doctor back on the program tomorrow, as I mentioned at the top. I am not alone in the weariness on all of this. We have been talking for what months about the likely surge in cases coming due to seasonality. Everyone was attacking the southern states in Florida. Oh, it was the fault of their policies that they had such a hard time. Well, now it's cold out. And we're seeing the pattern play out seasonally on COVID again. Plus, you've got this very contagious, but hopefully it seems less virulent variant. That's also part of the. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Equation. And so the restrictions are coming back, and some of them are less insane than others. Some of them are straight up insane. And we continue to apparently learn very little in this country. 
We'll be right back with Katie Pavlich. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Thank you for listening to the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Podcast. Free on demand every day. Joining us now is Katie Pavlich, editor at townhall.com, my colleague there, also a Fox News contributor, my colleague here, also a friend. Katie, it's great to have you back. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I hear that a week from tonight you'll be busy hosting Fox News primetime in the 7 p.m. hour. Is that right? That is correct. I will be hosting that night and doing a little bit of the five here and there, too, and then filling in for Laura next Tuesday. So. Fantastic. Well, we'll be watching. Yeah, no no doubt about it around the holidays. Katie, before we get to politics, just quickly, I saw from your social media posts and your husband's as well, you guys did something pretty cool over the weekend. This project wreathes across America. Talk about it, the experience and what the whole what the whole program is about. Yeah. So Wreaths Across America is a nonprofit organization that uh, gets volunteers to go to Arlington National Cemetery and also national cemeteries all across the country. And they place wreaths on the uh, graves of all of the veterans who are are buried there. And I've always wanted to volunteer. I tried to do it last year, but there was problems with the Secretary of the Army trying to shut it down because of COVID. And then President Trump said, no, it's going to happen. But then they only allowed family members to do it. So this year, uh, friends of ours uh, who actually used to work for the Trump administration invited us to come with them. So we got the experience of walking through uh, one of the gates on the side of the Iwo Jima Memorial and getting one of, you know, a couple of the wreaths. And the, the tradition is that you say the name of the veteran whose grave you are putting the wreath on out loud so that they are remembered, which I thought was great. It's not just a, you know, a practice of everybody grabs a little wreath and throws them you know, on as many graves as you possibly can. It's a, it's a very memorable, honorable experience where you're remembering every single person who, you know, is in that cemetery, and they do it all across the country. So it was really amazing to go and experience it and to see families doing it. Um, you know, families, of course, heartbreaking to see those who have lost loved ones, especially recently. I know that some of the Marines who were killed um, in Afghanistan in August are, are buried there as well. And they, of course, have uh, newer headstones than, than others. But it was just an amazing experience. And as you know, even just driving by Arlington Cemetery is always very humbling. So it was. Mm-hmm. I was grateful to Reach Across America for giving us the opportunity to go in and volunteer and remember those who are buried there. And remember that freedom is a fragile thing and uh, requires a lot of sacrifice to keep intact. Yeah, I think that's well said. And it's a, a beautiful and moving tradition. And good for you for being a part of it this year at Arlington National Cemetery. Katie, I saw from your Twitter feed just seconds ago that you were watching the press briefing with – Jen Psaki at the White House. We were monitoring it here. Of course, massive news yesterday on Fox News Sunday. Brett Baer hosting the announcement from Senator Joe Manchin that he's out. He's done. He's a no on Build Back Better. And then, as you put it in your town hall piece, a seething statement from the White House yesterday really going after him pretty personally. And Psaki was asked about that today. What were your big takeaways from the briefing with Psaki, especially on this big blow up within the Democratic Party. 
Well, you can tell the White House is very irritated. Um, it's the end of the year. They've had a lot of non-successful uh, endeavors over the last six months, and we're up at the end of the year, and President Joe Biden really has nothing in his hand to walk away in the, you know, at the end of the year to say it was an accomplishment. Um, you know, Saki was obviously asked about this back and forth with Joe Manchin, was asked about, you know, Joe Manchin went on a radio interview today in West Virginia and said, look, you know, the, the White House staff essentially thought that they could bully me and push me around and that protesters could show up at my house, which is a houseboat in D.C., and harass me, and therefore I would be bullied into voting the way that they wanted to and walk away. He said, but I'm from West Virginia, and that's not how we behave. And the staff, the White House, um, just, you know, I was at my wit's end with negotiating with them. And Saki today said that they have no regrets about aggressively communicating with Senator Manchin ahead of his decision to vote against, um, or not vote for, I guess, build back better. And she also said that the statement they put out yesterday, which essentially called Joe Manchin a liar and argued that mm-hmm. he was arguing in bad faith, um, you know, they said that they stand by that statement, even though all of the receipts on what Manchin has been doing over the last six months are out there for everyone to see. Unlike the White House, he's been very transparent about where he stood. Uh, he has openly talked about this. He's published letters with Chuck Schumer uh, about what his terms would be. Uh, and yep. yet the White House is now very upset. And, you know, it goes, you know, they keep saying that Joe Manchin is still a friend of the president, but they're disappointed. Um, you know, and I think it just really kind of blows up this argument that we saw all throughout the campaign in 2020 of that Joe Biden's a nice guy. He's very, you know, good at negotiating because he spent so many years on Capitol Hill. So it really is just a, such an embarrassment for, for Joe Biden on, on many levels to think that he could strong arm um, anybody, but especially Joe Manchin, and then, you know, act like he was the one who had all this experience in Washington and that, therefore he'd be able to get well, this big thing done and he'd become the next FDR. I mean, it blew up. There's so many things that blew up in their face yesterday outside of just Joe Manchin, right? Well, and the FDR thing is – it's a really good point, an important point to bring up. The notion that Joe Biden campaigned for president to become the next FDR and spend trillions of dollars on giant new programs, that's like almost the opposite. He defeated that mindset in the primary. He ran in the general as a moderate sort of – trustworthy guy who's familiar and unthreatening and will be back to normal and sort of working together and calming things down and no longer Trump. That's how he won. And Joe Manchin is just basically saying, yeah, that's that's the guy that I voted for. That's the Democratic Party that I'm willing to be a part of. And he's getting absolutely blasted and hammered for mm-hmm. simply living up to the president's promises to the American people as a, as a candidate. And Katie, what struck me about what you just said and the White House standing by this uh, statement that they put out yesterday. It was an extraordinary statement. It was questioning really his integrity, his honor, his word, saying that, you know, this is a betrayal. He's flip-flopping, all this stuff. He then, in the interview that you referenced, he tried to kind of pawn this off on White House staff. In fact, we have that clip. Here's just a little soundbite from the interview on West Virginia Radio earlier. Cut 25. Well, the so there's line is there was there was there's basically and it's staff it's uh, staff driven. I understand staff. It's not the president. It's the staff, and they drove some things and they put some things out that were absolutely in, in, inexcusable. And they know what it is, and that's it. I think what Manchin was trying to do there was protect Biden and say I'm not mad at Biden. Biden isn't the guy trashing me, but it's staff. I mean, he didn't have to say Saki, but she was the one whose name was on the statement, and. But that was at least an attempt to sort of differentiate 
between the president and the people he was really mad at. And then Saki came out to the podium today and said, again, speaking on behalf of the president at the White House, oh, no, we stand behind the statement. They're not really giving him anywhere to land. Right. And, and, and you know, like you made the point earlier on, on that number, is they, they're trying now to, again, they're doubling down on their intensity and rudeness and aggressive behavior towards Senator Manchin at a time when they're trying to bring him back into the fold, because in that statement they released yesterday, they're saying we're not going to stop trying to convince him to change his mind and coming back to the table. So instead of you know saying, OK, we'll try to get back to this next year and work with him on the things that you know people of West Virginia and other moderate Democrats in our party want, uh, they're instead doubling down on this aggressive behavior and narrative towards him. And it's just funny because, you know, you're right. Manson's trying to give Joe Biden some space here to, you know, clean up the relationship and blame it on staff. But let's not forget that Joe Biden at the beginning of his presidency had that big announcement and, and was talking to all these different people in, in his administration on a Zoom call and said, if you don't behave a certain way, if, if you don't you know, live up to a standard of respect in my administration, then I will fire you. So if this is a staff problem, according to Biden's own you know, standard, then maybe things need to change with the staff if that's really what the problem is. And if I were the president and my staff had killed my my agenda through bad behavior and unprofessionalism, I think I would probably be looking to replace some of them. So well, and just unrealistic happens. expectations, too. Like you ran as a moderate. You've got literally a roadmap to how you get Joe Manchin on board. They ignore that. They pass the giant thing out of the House. It's not going to become law. Progressives driving the bus here. And then you sh- you know, you feign shock and outrage when the guy who's been telling us what he was going to do for the last six months does the thing that he said. Exactly. And, you know, this is, you know, if you pull the curtain back and, and you go back in history, you know, this, this we're a year into the infighting of the Democratic Party. And when Joe Biden got the nomination and we went to Election Day, people like Senator Bernie Sanders, who's now been in charge of the Senate Budget Committee, who's been driving the train on this agenda the entire time, people like AOC said, if you want our base, you're going to have to repay us once you get into the White House with agenda items. And Joe Biden, once he got elected, betrayed the voters, I would say, as a moderate, right? He said he was a moderate, betrayed the voters based on what he was telling them, and completely pivoted to this Bernie Sanders, AOC, far-left Democratic agenda, which has tanked him at the end of the year. Uh, And he was trying his best to repay those people for sticking by him and getting him over the finish line last November. Um, But it it backfired now, and it's going to be very difficult for him to get any of this over the finish line. And I just think it's hilarious that Senator Chuck Schumer now, a majority leader, is saying that they're going to vote on parts of this or vote on it in an election year. It's like, okay, yeah, knowing it. Republicans, right, they don't Arizona, have the votes. Republicans in Nevada, Georgia, I'm sure would be happy to have your your flailing Democratic senators walk the plank on that. Yeah, have a vote, have the votes go down, have them fail, get everyone on the record, have another round of people screaming at each other and headlines about the Democrats being in disarray. I cannot imagine that that will actually come to pass if they realize they don't have the votes because it will just accentuate the lack of unity, and infuriate various elements of the Democratic coalition. To do that again, to go through all the pain again in an election year seems 
almost suicidal, but you never know. I mean, if you are if you're a party that's scared of your left wing base, this is the type of thing that you might do. And it's as if Joe Biden is still fighting the primary of 2020 and is still worried about his left uh, flank from the primary like he has forgotten how he won the nomination of his party and how he won the White House. Meantime, Katie, and this is related, big news today, two additional House Democrats have announced that they are not seeking reelection next year, including there's one in New Jersey, but a big one down in Florida, Stephanie Murphy, seen as one of their rising stars, a young member. She is now out. And that one was a bit of a shockwave creator in Washington, D.C., because she's exactly the type of member that Democrats sort of feel like that's that's part of our future. She's looking at what's happening and she's decided I'm not going to stay here. That is the 22nd retirement announcement among House Democrats already ahead of next November. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I you know, the strategy, I think, this year with the Biden agenda has been they're seeing the writing on the wall with all of these retirements. They understand that they're probably going to lose. The generic ballot has been consistently in favor of Republicans for weeks on end now, sometimes in double digits. The numbers on Hispanics dropping out of the Democratic Party is just astounding, especially in places like Florida and Texas. So, you know, there is room, of course, for Republicans to screw things up and not make it over the finish line. But I think oh, yeah. they're bracing themselves uh, for a red wave. And that's why you've seen the left try to push through as much as they possibly can while they still have, you know, this limited amount of power, which is why they're so infuriated by yes. Joe Manchin, because they feel like this yep. is like their last gasp of air to get things done before, you know, they have no power. And Joe Biden is even more of a lame duck than he already is today versus last yeah. week. And I would also say if you want to look at a wave that would really start to build taller and taller and taller, look at some of these school districts announcing that they're closing schools again. Uh, one in one in Maryland saying we're not going back till January 18th. I mean, it's like no lessons are learned ever, it seems, in this country on COVID or anything else. And the voters of Virginia and New Jersey tried to send a message. That message, I guess, has not been received in some places. And it's going to be more of this madness at least for a while, until perhaps voters speak very loudly again. Last word to you, Katie. Yeah, and, and like you said, the the not learning any lessons. I think the issue of COVID lockdowns and the insanity that continues to be placed into policy uh, is going to have a bigger effect on the elections of 2022 than people know. I think people can think with their brains, and all these bureaucrats, including teachers' unions and 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 teachers. Uh, school boards across the country, rather, um, are trying to use this fear as a way to get out of doing their jobs. And I think people are getting really tired of it. Katie Pavlich, editor at townhall.com, Fox News contributor, my colleague twice over and a close friend of the program and of myself and my husband. Katie, great to talk to you. We'll hang out soon, I'm sure, off air. And we'll be watching you all over the place on air these next couple weeks. Yeah, thanks, Guy. Talk to you soon. Say hello to Roy for me. We'll do a little pat on the head for Roy. It's the Guy Benson Show. Roy is my dog, to clarify. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Guy Benson will be right back. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Back here on the Guy Benson Show. This is interesting. Former President Trump is doing these events with Bill O'Reilly. 
where people buy tickets and they go and hear them chat on stage. And they were talking about the vaccines, the COVID vaccines. At this most recent event, Trump and O'Reilly, Trump made a couple, I think, very good and important points about the vaccine. The media is, of course, running with one angle on this. But I want you to hear this little exchange and this answer. Cut 23. But look, we did something that was historic. We saved tens of millions of lives worldwide. We together, all of us, not me, we We got a vaccine done, three vaccines done, and tremendous therapeutics like Regeneron and other things that have saved a lot of lives. We got a vaccine done in less than nine months that was supposed to take from five to 12 years. Because of that vaccine, because of that vaccine, millions and millions of people, I think this would have been the Spanish flu of 1917 where up to 100 million people died. This was going to ravage the country far beyond what it is right now. Take credit for it. Take credit for it. It's a great, what we've done is historic. Don't let them take it away. Don't take it away from ourselves. You're playing that, you're playing right into their hands when you sort of like, oh, the vaccine. If you don't want to take it, you shouldn't be forced to take it. No mandates, but take credit because we saved tens of millions of lives. Take credit. Don't let them take that away from you. Okay, so the president made news. Do you agree with that? Right? Both the president and I are vaxxed. And uh, did you get the booster? Yes. I got it too. Okay, so. Um... Oh, don't, 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 no, no. That's all. It's a very tiny group of it. All right. So, of course, the media is saying Trump gets booed when he admits he took the booster shot. And if you listen very carefully to it, as I did, it was like you hear a handful of people like jeer or something at it. And he shoots them right down. Don't do that. No, 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 no. And he said it's a a small number of people because he knew exactly what the media was going to do with it. And then they did it anyway. There was not a big heavy boo from the crowd that Trump got boosted. He's saying we want credit for these vaccines. Operation Warp Speed was a Trump administration success, perhaps the biggest of the administration. Huge success. He wants credit. That's fair. He's saying, don't let the left take that away from us by being all anti-vax. That was his message. He said, no mandates. I agree with that. But we saved millions of lives. I think that's true. And the fact that he's boosted, I also think is setting a good example. I'm glad he said it. So I want to play that for you. Now, so show you how the media is going to distort it, which they're already doing. Mitch McConnell up next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, women of the Bible speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A brand new hour underway here on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. You can listen live between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern. All the ways to do so, including across our great affiliates, Or you can catch our podcast on demand for free every day. GuyBensonShow.com. Fox News alert. The Dow recovered from session lows, but still closed way down. Down 433 points at the bell. 
ending at 34,932 for the day. Joining us now is the Senate Republican leader, Senator Mitch McConnell, GOP member of Kentucky. And Senator, it's great to have you back. Merry Christmas. And you, God. Glad to be with you. You know, I would imagine that your Christmas perhaps got a little bit merrier yesterday, right around, oh, I don't know, 9, 9.30 a.m. Eastern time, when your Democratic colleague, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, appeared on Fox News Sunday with Brett Baer and announced that he's a no on Build Back Better. For anyone who missed it, cut one. Here's what it sounded like. So when you have these things coming at you the way they are right now, uh, I've always said this, Brett, if I can't go home and explain it, to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a no. This is a no. Senator McConnell, did you have any inkling that he was going to do that yesterday before he did it? Not an inkling, but a hope. Ironically, at my wrap-up press conference at the end of the session last Thursday, I said the single biggest um, favor Joe Manchin could do the country uh, is to kill this bill. Uh, That's what the country needs, to see this bill killed. It is absolutely inappropriate and unnecessary at a time when we're fighting inflation. And we've already uh, showered entirely too much money on the on the government, which helped create the, on the country, which helped create the inflation with that uh, American Rescue Package earlier this year, uh, which, of course, none of my members voted for. So it was, it was an exciting thing to hear. It was a great shot in the arm for the country. I think it's exactly what the country needed at this particular time. Are you surprised at all by the White House reaction attacking Manchin pretty personally on his integrity, saying that he sort of went back on his word, and perhaps this was a betrayal. In your experience, is that a successful persuasion tactic with someone like Manchin? I tell you, the time I've been Republican leader, I never get angry about losing a vote because, you know, the most important vote is always the next vote. So I I was shocked at the vitriol. uh, And basically, it seemed to me they were calling Senator Manchin a liar. Um... I think that was not smart. This is a 50-50 Senate. Uh, It's going to be 50-50 for another year. Uh, And uh, believe me, that's that's not the way I would have handled a disappointing vote like this. Well, on that exact note, there was a question posed to Senator Manchin earlier on a radio show about his place Within the Democratic Party, his answer, I thought, was very intriguing. Here's the exchange. Cut 27. Is there still a place for you in the Democratic Party? Well, I think I would like to hope that there's still Democrats that feel like I do. I say I'm socially, I'm fiscally responsible and socially compassionate. Now, if there's no Democrats like that, then they have to push me wherever they want me. Then they'll have to push me wherever they want me, sort of firing back at the White House and the progressives, talking about maybe getting tugged in a certain direction. I saw a story just the other day, Senator McConnell, about you and Manchin getting uh, chummier in recent days and Democrats sort of fretting about that. Is that true? Have you grown closer with Senator Manchin? And do you think there's a case to be made to him 
particularly given what you just called the vitriol from the White House, that maybe given the way his constituents voted in 2016 and 2020, maybe the more natural home for Senator Joe Manchin is in the Republican conference. Well, it won't surprise you, you know, Guy, I've made that argument for, for quite some time to, to Joe. <laughs> we come from the same part of the country, uh, you know, a lot of similarities between West Virginia and Virginia, including including our constituencies, which are pretty red these days. Um, I don't know if Joe will ever become a Republican, but I can tell you this for sure. The moderates are gone. There are two left in the Senate, two moderates out of 50. There were more moderate Democrats than Barack Obama was president than there are today. And so it's a completely uncomfortable fit uh, for for Joe. I think he's probably, for example, the only pro-life Democrat of the 50. Um, he, he, uh, He doesn't fit well over there, but that's a decision ultimately he has to make. Um, we, we certainly welcome him to join us if he were so inclined. Do you think, because you said you've had that conversation, and that's true, I'm sure you've done your best uh, persuasion efforts, maybe not by calling him a liar, for example, but does that conversation change after this vote and the reaction to it, in your view? Well, it makes it look like they don't really want him. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine any other explanation for the uh, for that statement yesterday, which was, um, as I said earlier, summing it up, they basically called uh, Joe Manchin a liar. Senator McConnell, I do want to ask you on a separate subject about a statement. This is not necessarily new. The former president, Donald Trump, puts out statements, written statements all the time, blasting you. He was in public and reiterated that point uh, just the other day. He also was interviewed by Maria Bartiromo yesterday on Fox News Channel. Here's a very quick snippet of what he said, cut 18. Look, Mitch McConnell's a disaster. The Republicans have to get a new leader. He's calling for you to be replaced as Republican Senate leader. Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, he was on Fox News Sunday, not yesterday, but the previous week, and Chris Wallace interviewed him. And at one point, he said this about the nature of leadership within Republican politics these days, cut 19. Donald Trump is the most consequential Republican in the entire Republican Party, maybe in the history of the party since Ronald Reagan. And if you're going to lead this party in the House and the Senate, you have to have a working relationship with Donald Trump or it will not work. Senator, do you agree with Lindsey Graham about someone in your position needing to have a good working relationship with the former president? And given the fact that the former president is saying that you need to be replaced as leader, What's your reaction to that within the context of the point Senator Graham was making? Well, of course, the Senate Republicans decide who their leader is. And if you wrap up the year, we've had a marvelous year. Joe Biden started off uh, over 50 percent. He's now in the low 40s. He just lost his top legislative priority. Uh We've had a terrific year. The American people have seen what true liberalism looks like. Actually, I think more accurately, what socialism looks like. And we're headed toward a very significant midterm election next year, which should, in all likelihood, flip both the House and the Senate uh, to the Republican Party. Are you feeling more confident? Because when I've asked you in recent months about the GOP winning the Senate back, 
the majority back in 2022. You've been a little bit more cautious and cagey than that, saying, well, it'll, you know, it'll be a knife fight and a phone booth is going to be very, very close. You sounded more optimistic there. Are your political instincts telling you that the ground has shifted enough that you're feeling maybe not certain, but more confident that you will be the majority leader come 2023? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious the environment for the Democrats is toxic. Look at what happened in Virginia. I think what was even more significant was what happened in New Jersey. Uh, our Republican candidate for governor up there barely had enough money to run a campaign or almost won. A uh, truck driver paid 150 bucks and took out the state Senate president. What was going on in New Jersey? was a referendum on the popularity of the Biden administration in a, in a state that Biden carried by 16 points. So they're in very, very tough shape uh, politically. I don't see how that gets much better. No one thinks inflation is not going to still be a huge uh, issue. We have having difficulty getting people back to work. Yeah, look, the Senate's still going to be closed. But I think the atmosphere in which all of our races are going to be run is even dramatically better than the last time you and I spoke, Guy. Senator, on that note, looking to the next year or so leading up to November, your counterpart on the other side, Chuck Schumer, is saying that they plan to hold votes on Build Back Better, which could be a very divisive thing culminating in failure if they decide to go that direction. Meanwhile, the other conversation is they want to move forward with what they call electoral reform, but they don't have anywhere near the votes, unless we're talking about maybe the Electoral Count Act or uh, some some iteration of that, the huge federal takeover that they're talking about does not have nearly enough support to get a majority, let alone to break a filibuster. But they're going back to the filibuster well again and pressuring Manchin and Cinema and others uh, to reverse on that issue and to try to uh, ram something through. What is your take on the comments that you've heard from the leadership on the other side of the aisle, both saying they want to go forward anyway with Build Back Better, while also trying to move forward with their version of electoral reform? Well, it's pretty clear if they have a, a vote on the current version of uh, Build Back Better, it'll be defeated. Uh, I, I expect they'll continue to try to modify it and try to find some place to get Manchin on board. With regard to the to the Senate filibuster, the core of, of the Senate, the essence of the Senate is the supermajority threshold. Senator Sinema of Arizona has been quite unequivocal. He is not going to modify the filibuster rule. So um, it takes all 50 of them, and I'm confident that Senator Sinema believes in the institution, doesn't believe the it's broken and doesn't need fixing by breaking the structure. Uh, so many of these Democrats are totally radical. They want to break the Senate. They want to have two new states in D.C. And, and Puerto Rico. They want to pack the Supreme Court. These people are radical and they're dangerous and they need to be stopped. And I'm extremely uh, comfortable with where we are in the Senate on, on its core that is the 60-vote threshold, now, principally because Senator Sinema has said she's not interested in doing that, period. And Manchin as well. So you've got at least those two and reportedly others behind the scenes don't want to go there either. 
But the stakes that you just laid out there about uh, the radicalism increasing within that party, I think, will be very much part of the refrain from the Republicans heading into next November with a very big midterm cycle, very consequential, looming next year. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, my guest here on The Guy Benson Show. Senator, I know you've got to run. We probably won't speak with you here on the show before the calendar flips to 2022. So very Merry Christmas to you and your family and a happy new year and a big new year ahead. We look forward to having you back here on the show. Thanks, God. Happy New Year. Mitch McConnell on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. It's The Guy Benson Show. Howie Kurtz will join us coming up in the next segment. Still just digesting that interview that we conducted moments ago with Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the U.S. Senate. And to me, what really jumped out was the shock that he expressed at the decision, maybe not of the progressive Democrats who were going to be out there. They lob bombs all the time at their fellow Democrats at everyone. You know, this is how they play politics. But at the White House, the decision at the White House to go after Manchin the way that they have. He suggested McConnell did that he was shocked. He said it wasn't smart to call Manchin a liar. He said that's not the way in leadership that he would ever go about doing it because you need every vote every time and you don't want to make enemies of someone or really alienate or, or turn the temperature down to a chill with someone that you're going to then be counting on theoretically look for at least you know another year in a 50-50 Senate. It sounded like he viewed the White House escalating this into a more of a personal feud. It's like a gift to Republicans and a strategic misstep, a political misstep by the Biden White House. And it's hard to disagree with that, honestly. As for the party switching rumors, it still doesn't strike me as something highly likely to happen. But I've talked to McConnell a few different times on this show and off the air, but we've talked about Manchin before. And he seemed, I don't know, less dismissive of the idea. Saying, of course, you know, I've made the argument many times. We'd love to have him. We'd welcome him in the Republican Party. But it it jumped out at me the way McConnell was characterizing the actions of the Democratic Party. He said, paraphrasing, it's like they don't want Joe Manchin. The way they're treating him. It's like they don't want him on their team. I.e., we'd love him on this team. We won't treat him like that over here. He said he's out of place, Manchin is, in the Democratic Party now. He said the moderates are basically gone in that party. So he doesn't really fit in very well over there, is what McConnell said of Manchin. And I don't know. I just thought that was fairly intriguing, especially given what Manchin said with his version of sort of blowback against the progressives saying, hey, look, I'd like to think I'd hope 
that there are still Democrats like me in this party. But if there aren't, then they're going to push me wherever they're going to push me. That's almost an exact quote from what Manchin said today, which raised an eyebrow. At least for me, I I saw that and that was usually he is very, very concrete in his response to the party switching stuff. Manchin is It's like, no, I'm a Democrat. I'm staying a Democrat. He shoots that down pretty conclusively. That is not what I heard today. There's a report now that close Manchin allies feel like by making it personal, this has gotten worse from Manchin's perspective. And the way, you know, the threats that are coming and we always hear this, remember, when there's a fight and the squad, anyone criticizes the squad, no matter what they do, no matter how outrageous their comments, any criticism of them publicly is putting their lives in danger. Right. And they come out and they whine about it and they wag their finger. Well, Joe Manchin has been on the receiving end now of a lot, it sounds like, of of really aggressive stuff. Vitriol is what McConnell called it, including Manchin's family. And now Manchin's allies are sort of firing back, playing that same game to some extent, saying, "Okay, think about what the White House has done here. One other thing I was struck, of course, McConnell did not take the bait on the Trump stuff. He never does. What he did do was sound a lot more bullish on 2022 than he has in the past. And that's why I drilled down a little bit on that. He said, yeah. He said, look, anything can happen. It's going to be close. But given the national environment right now, McConnell said, I'm feeling a lot better about our chances in the House and the Senate in 2022. The election less than a year away. We will step aside. We'll come right back. Howie Kurtz on the media reaction to all of this and more straight ahead. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for listening. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday, GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast on demand and free on a daily basis, including over the weekends. Joining me here in studio in our D.C. bureau at Fox News is Howie Kurtz, host of Media Buzz every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Also host of the hit podcast, Media Buzz Meter. You can follow him on Twitter at Howard Kurtz. Great to see you, Howie. I was just wondering by they grabbed me out of the hallway. <laughs> I was like, hang on, there's Howie. Get <laughs> yeah. No, but in all seriousness, we did want to talk to you today about a number of different things. And let's start right here. This is an exchange going everywhere. It's gone viral. Charlemagne the God interviewing the vice president, Kamala Harris. And he asked a question, who's really president? Sort of this cheeky thing, who's really running the country? And in this first clip, you're going to hear in the background – a woman's voice, not on microphone. That is Simone Sanders, one of the top aides to the vice president, who's actually announced she's leaving the administration. Right. But it's sounding like she's trying to shut down the interview, and she's blaming a technical glitch that doesn't seem to actually exist. Yes, it's fictional. It's a fictional <laughs> tech glitch. So let's listen to first cut two. Who's the superhero that's going to speak against Joe Manchin? No. I want to know who's the real president of this country. Is it, Bi- is it Joe Biden or Joe Manchin? I'm 
so sorry, Charlie. We have she, to wrap. She can, can hear me. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me, Madam okay, Vice President? Oh, I'm sorry. You got to wrap. Oh. So I'm, I'm sorry happened. to interrupt. They're acting like they can't hear me. <laughs> I can hear you. Oh. So there's the vice president chiming in there. I can hear you. And I guess Sanders was suggesting that they couldn't hear each other and she was so sorry she had to interrupt, but they have to wrap. So Harris then kind of asserts, no, I can hear you. So the interview then resumes in cut three. Who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell no, sometimes. No, 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 no. It's Joe Biden. And don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a problem? It's Joe, and, it's Joe, and it's Joe Biden. And I'm vice president. And my name is Kamala Harris. OK, Howie. First of all, just your broad takeaways from that whole kerfuffle. <laughs> Cringeworthy. Uh, um, Kamala Harris is not very good in these situations. She's a bit clumsy. She doesn't have the knack of diffusing it with humor. What made it so much worse was that if you're watching this on TV, she's just sitting there mutely while her aide, Simone Sanders, is, you know, oh, she can't hear you and we have to rap now. It left the impression Harris's own staff felt that she was floundering and needed to be yanked out of there because she couldn't defend herself. Uh, and then finally she does uh, say something. And, and so my second question is, why in the heavens is she talking to Charlemagne the God, who's known to get in people's faces, who's been described as the Howard, Hearn of, Howard Stern of hip-hop, uh, as opposed to talking to journalists? So on every conceivable level, this was kind of a train wreck. Well, he sometimes asks questions that are perhaps more incisive or pointed than official D.C. journalists do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember what he did with Elizabeth Warren on the Native American stuff, absolutely brutal for her. And he pulled no punches. He called her... I think the Rachel Dolezal of Native Americans, I mean, that was an unbelievable thing to see said right to her face. This is what he does. Right. Well, good for him. Yes. But then if you're going to take the vice president of the United States, who uh, doesn't do many interviews and is not very practiced at it, and I think, you know, a lot of the press is piling on Kamala Harris right now. Maybe the White House doesn't want her out there. So she goes on this show and she seemed like she had the expectation that they wouldn't just be doing this cozy tango, you know, with a Because I think he's a fan of hers overall. Eventually he got around to that after a while. And instead they're doing the dance and he starts stomping on her toes, which, you know, which Joe is president. And at that point, um, after you stopped the clip afterwards, uh, the VP starts retreating into doing a lot of talking points. And she says, well, and she says, we've done this, we've done this, and we've done, we've doing the child tax credit. And then she panders and says, which helps alleviate black poverty, actually would uh, help with poverty for all kinds of families with kids. Um, and by the way, the reason it's not going to happen and it's not going to be an extension of the child tax credit is because of the aforementioned kind of sort of president, Joe Manchin, who has just killed the big Biden, Biden spending bill. Here's the thing, Howie, and I gave this sort of quasi counterintuitive take on Outnumbered earlier. I think that if you could clear out the Simone Sanders interjection, this wasn't a bad moment for Harris because there's been and we've talked about it on the air, the both of us. A, a war of leaks mm -hmm. back and forth. Harris's camp, the White House, Biden people. She's weak. She's failing. We can't really trust her. And then all the counter assaults saying, well, it's because they're sexist and racist. And we have covered this with popcorn pop for a while now. Here was an opportunity, almost a ball on a tee for Kamala Harris to take a big, strong swing mm -hmm. and say, 
That is a BS premise to a question. Joe Biden is president of the United States. I'm the vice president. It's not some senator. That's a silly thing to ask for all these reasons and to maybe gain some currency back with the president and to be a team player and to show that you're loyal to the president. I think some conservatives are attacking her for for getting so defensive and being a little bit churlish. I actually think given the whole swirl of what's been happening, the palace intrigue for the last few weeks, it's maybe not politically in Democratic politics a bad look for her to answer the way that she did. But it looks extra churlish and bad after your staff tries to stop the interview. But she could have preempted that in this way that Ronald Reagan famously did with, I paid for this microphone, Mm -hmm. Mr. Breen. She said, no, I can hear you, and let me tell you something, and went into it and then didn't slip into the talking points. But instead, she kind of froze while Simone Sanders was doing the whole, you know, it's like a Saturday Night Live skit. You got one finger in the ear, it's like, I can't hear you, sorry. Are you breaking up? You know, when you don't (laughs) want to talk to somebody on the cell phone. Uh, One other quick point, Guy, which is that I'm not seeing... it's. Viral everywhere, but I'm not seeing much of this on the other channels, uh, other cable news channels besides Fox. No, because it makes her look bad. It's more bad. Right, news but if this had happened, if Mike Pence's aide had intervened and said, "No, I'm sorry, the vice president can't hear you," this would have been a story for a week, as it was back in the day when Colin Powell's aide on Meet the Press tried to wrap an interview, and Colin Powell told her to sit down. That I think probably speaks for itself because a lot of what our competition does is they make decisions based on whether a news story helps their preferred political party, Mm -hmm. the Democratic Party. And this is not helpful, and they're already dealing with all sorts of problems. And so this is basically a story, a non-story to them, that gets, I guess, the Fox effect. Oh, it's Foxified, so we're not going to do it, even though it happened on a very liberal show. This was not incoming fire from the right. This was questioning from the left and a self-inflicted wound from the vice president and her staff. And the other point that I made on TV earlier was the common denominator in all of this incompetence when it comes to the vice president is the vice president. Going back for many years, she's had problems with staff and awkward interviews. And you know, at some point, it's sort of like, all right, I think we may have identified the problem here. Time to do something about it. It's the principal, i.e. the vice president in this case. Since we were talking about media coverage and the way that things are shaded, and sometimes it's not subtle at all, I wonder what you make of the coverage of both Senator Manchin personally in his decision to kill Build Back Better, but also just uh, the overall implications of the demise of Build Back Better. It seems to me that in many precincts in the mainstream media, this is being treated badly. Like this is they're, – they're suffering through a loss. They're commiserating – They are almost in a big group therapy session about this uh, disappointment because their preferred party's president and their preferred giant spending plan is not going to happen. And it's a very, very, very different tone and framing than, for example, when John McCain did the thumbs down on Obamacare, which was a maverick putting country before party and standing up to his own leadership. Isn't this courageous and interesting? And now – not so many glowing tributes, yeah, it would seem, to Joe Manchin. Isn't that odd? That. Yeah, going on Fox News suddenly is the new thumbs down on the Senate floor. Uh, look, it, it's been evident for months now that this bill could not pass without Joe Manchin and probably was not going to pass. Press was constantly, you know, had blinders on. Oh, it'll pass by Thanksgiving. Well, certainly Christmas. I, early next year would be a good time. Maybe when there's a lunar eclipse, it will pass. <laughs> and then finally, Manchin says, OK, I'm done. I'm walking. I'm out of here. And so you're starting to see now, and we have the 
this uh, a few weeks ago when Manchin first really emerged as the principal roadblock to this legislation. Uh, a lot of personal attacks on him. And, you know, he is subverting democracy. How can one guy from such a small state be allowed to do this to our President Biden? Well, it, because that's the way the Senate works. Mm-hmm. You got to get 50 votes. He's the 50th Senate vote. And what I'm not seeing a lot of is, boy, this is a spectacular miscalculation by President Biden, who asked for three and a half trillion dollars well, over and, all the previous and trillions. Schumer and Pelosi. And knew that he had to get something that could pass that narrow gap uh, with Kirsten Sinema and, uh, and and Joe Manchin being somewhat more moderate slash conservative and supposed to be the consummate Senate dealmaker. And the whole thing has collapsed. And now they're pointing fingers and issuing statements about each other. Yeah. Where's the criticism of the guy supposedly running the ship, the president? Where's the criticism of the leadership on the Democratic side uh, on Capitol Hill? I mean, mm-hmm. both ends of Capitol Hill. Pelosi forced all of her members to vote for this bill that's never going to become law, including vulnerable moderates or so-called moderates. Mm -hmm. They're now just twisting in the wind. There were all sorts of miscalculations. What about the progressives who forced this entire agenda onto Biden, saying we expect you to be a big left-wing president. We want this giant number for Build Back Better. They kind of created the bed that they're now lying in, and it seems like all of the criticism or much of it Of course, on the center left, but within the so-called news media, Mm -hmm. it's trained on this one guy and, of course, cinema as well to a certain extent. And perhaps it's because not only are many journalists Democrats, they personally identify more with the left wing of the Democratic Party. Yeah, I I think that uh, they were rooting for this bill to finally somehow emerge. It's clearly not going to emerge in very dramatic fashion. And, you know, it's so much easier to blame one guy, but he is just one out of 100 senators. I think ultimately you got, you know, if if President Biden had not overreached, had not miscalculated, had not uh, adopted the Bernie agenda after running as the centrist alternative in the Democratic primaries, and he had gotten the infrastructure bill, bipartisan bill, and then basically declared victory and not or done something more modest on one of the subjects. Maybe it was Medicare. Maybe it was climate change. Maybe it was child tax credit. The child credit. Maybe he could have gotten it through. Instead, he asked, you, people forget, these, we throw these numbers around, $3.5 trillion, that's more than half the federal budget in addition to the $3 trillion he had already passed. At some point, you run out of money. And so it's a disaster, and I don't think quite yet the media have uh, acknowledged the dimensions of this disaster politically for the Dems. Yeah, what's also interesting is I tweeted my point about the McCain comparison, uh, you know, the, the brave maverick putting his country first versus look at this guy killing the planet and our democracy, right? It's just like if you squint, you can tell there's a slight difference. So I made this point and I had a few people come back to me saying, oh, well, what McCain did was heroic because he was killing a thing that was going to rip health care away from people, whereas this was going to save the planet. I'm like, yes, that is the Democrat Party line and the media line. But there's a lot of people who think differently, including, based on the polling, a majority of the American people and a super majority of the people of West Virginia, who hired Joe Manchin to be their senator. Last question, Howie Kurtz, it's on Omicron and the coverage. You will see coverage, and I like to call it to-be-sureism. Let's say to-be-sure, there is some potential good news on the virulence of this strain and so on. But if you look at the overall scope of the Omicron coverage, it is pretty frantic right now. And I wonder if you think that the media is doing a good job covering it. Are they getting the context on virulence and other important markers, hospitalizations, for example, South Africa and elsewhere? Are they incorporating that sufficiently or is this a bit too much of a media led panic? 
I think the media are doing a lousy job, and here is why. They don't know what to say. They're mired in confusion because the experts themselves can't seem to make up their minds. And we have lurched from, oh, my God, this is going to kill us all, to, well, you know, studies in South Africa say it's pretty mild, to, no, a new study says it's actually as dangerous or as harmful, of course, depending on whether you're vaccinated or not, uh, as the Delta variant, uh, to Fauci says we have to wear masks on airplanes forever. In other words, we, we report all this stuff. It's, we struggle to provide context. We don't really know what to do. People are confused. They're confused. And, and, and the one thing that's gotten overlooked here in the time that we have is the complete Biden failure on testing. I don't blame President Biden for the fact that 40 percent of Americans have chosen for whatever reason Agreed. not to get vaccinated. But two years almost into the pandemic and now all the tests are sold out. You can't get an at-home test. You can't get an appointment. I tried long one of my kids over the weekend. Long lines. Where was the foresight that said, you know, this thing is not over and, and this is an important tool uh, that we need? No, so uh, I can't say I think the media are scaring some people. Maybe uh, the numbers will show that that's deserved, but uh, it's kind of been zigzag. Yeah. And the testing failure is, I mean, self-evident. It's unfathomable that we're two years into this. And and yet, Howie Kurtz, host of Fox News Channel's Media Buzz every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Media Buzz Meter at foxnewspodcast.com, on Twitter at Howard Kurtz. Howie, thank you. Great to see you, Guy. We'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. We are back here on the Guy Benson Show. Still to come, my response to Dr. Anthony Fauci and some guidance that he gave on TV yesterday compared to the decisions that I made for myself and my family and my friends over the weekend by attending a wedding, which I guess is a no-no to Dr. Fauci, the way that he described it, but that's not his call. And I'll explain my choices and my frustrations with him coming up in the next hour. In the meantime, this story from the Washington Post is absolutely bananas. At first, I thought this was fake news. Like, who could have even dreamed up something This terrible, and yet it is real. It is from a Washington, D.C. school where third graders were made to reenact episodes from the Holocaust. And I guess this was billed as an educational event. A Watkins Elementary School staff member told third graders in library class to reenact scenes from the Holocaust directing them to dig their classmates' mass graves and simulate shooting the victims. This according to an email from the school's principal. This, I guess, got out and became a PR problem, I think, and more for this school. Understandably so. The instructor was placed on leave Friday. Here are some of the details from the post. This staff member assigned specific roles to students. She even cast one student as Adolf Hitler. That student's name was withheld, but the student is Jewish, according to one of the parents in the class. At the end of this exercise, that child was told to pretend to commit suicide as Hitler did. A different parent of a student who was part of the reenactment said her son had to pretend to be on a train to a concentration camp, then act as if he were dying in a gas chamber. 
He also had to act as if he were shooting his peers. The instructor allegedly made anti-Semitic comments during the reenactment. Imagine that. The parent who was quoted said that when the children asked why the Nazis did this, the staff member replied, it was because, quote, the Jews ruined Christmas. The instructor asked students after the reenactment not to tell anyone about it, but they told their homeroom teacher. How often are we hearing stories these days about things happening in schools where staff members or teachers or whomever ask kids not to say what's happening in classrooms? That is a red flag. That is why parents need to stay involved in their kids' education. I mean, this is just cartoonishly awful. But you wonder how many other crazy things are being done. These are third graders. It's a real story. I don't think that person should be in front of students ever again. The person who dreamed up that exercise. Yikes. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show. Straight ahead. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the Happy Hour on the Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Guy Benson. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free of charge every single day. We're in D.C. right now, then heading to New York. A lot of TV coming up in the next few days. So stay tuned for some programming notes on that front forthcoming. But everything related to this program is at GuyBensonShow.com or on social. You can give us a follow at Guy Benson Show, Twitter and Instagram. And the happy hour sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Delicious, refreshing, all year round. Very good at the holidays. TheLongDrink.com. I keep hearing from you guys as you try it. And the reviews are strong as are sales. Check it out for yourself. TheLongDrink.com. You can see where it's sold near you. It's like this uh, citrus soda with premium liquor. So you have to be 21 or older to drink it, of course. And always drink responsibly. TheLongDrink.com. So over the weekend, I was in Mississippi. In fact, I was off the air on this show. We had a guest host. Harry was here on Friday because, as it turns out, traveling from Washington, D.C. to Meridian, Mississippi is a full-day excursion. So I flew from D.C. to Houston to a tiny airport in Meridian. One gate, one airline. Happens to be my airline, United, so that worked out well for me. And I ended up going to this wedding without Adam, my husband. Even though we were both scheduled to go, we were both RSVP'd and excited. But he and I found out midway through last week that we had a COVID exposure. One of our very good friends was over for dinner. We had a couple over. And he then, a few days later, tested positive. He was feeling overall fine. He was totally asymptomatic when he was at the house. And so I called up Dr. Sapphire, actually, 
just to get a consultation. What do you think? We've got this wedding. And we decided to make some decisions based on what we thought was the best information. The data that we have available, what our personal situation is, and what we ultimately decided was because I have two shots plus a booster, not a booster shot, but nature's booster, a breakthrough case, my hybrid immunity is strong. Adam only had the two shots. He has his booster scheduled, but he hasn't gotten it yet. And Sapphire was talking about the incubation period and when he would potentially test positive. And it would be basically when we were already in Mississippi. So the backdrop to this is my parents are coming to town tomorrow. And Adam will be there to greet them. They're in their 60s. They are still waiting on their booster shot appointments. And we just decided that for him to be not fully vaccinated plus booster, and given the fact that we wouldn't necessarily know if he was testing positive for real or not until basically the day of the wedding, and with the factor of my parents coming in as well, I'll be in New York, we just decided under the guidance as well, as I mentioned of Dr. Sapphire, that it made sense for him to stay home and I would go. And I think that it was absolutely the right decision. Now, as it turned out, he kept testing and testing negative. Throughout the weekend, he was fine. He didn't get it, even though we were in close proximity indoors with this guy at dinner for like two hours. Regardless, I had all of this in mind as I watched a clip yesterday from Dr. Anthony Fauci. And what Dr. Fauci said, he said a few different things that stuck out to me, and both of them are making headlines today. One of them, one of the comments, had to do with masking on airplanes, which I cannot stand. And the other one was about holiday plans and gatherings. So let's start with Cut 20. This is the one that you've probably heard about. I wrote about it today at townhall.com as well. Let's listen. Here's a question from ABC's Jonathan Carl, and then just easy, breezy answer from Fauci effectively saying it sounds like that we'll be required to wear masks on airplanes forever? Listen. Are we going to get to the point where we won't have to wear masks on airplanes? I don't think so. I think when you're dealing with a closed space, even though the filtration is good, that you want to go that extra step. All right. The question was open-ended. Are we going to get to a point when we can be on airplanes without having to wear masks? And very quickly, the response comes back, I don't think so. From Fauci. What the American people have needed now for months is attainable, realistic off ramps. How we get to a point where there's an endemic disease, where we deal with it on a seasonal basis. Maybe there's boosters or the effective equivalent of a flu shot every year, or every COVID season. And then we get back to a normal situation, a normal life. One of the hallmarks to me, one of the signposts on the path to a fully normal life or renormalized situation is when we can get on an airplane and not be forced by the federal government to wear masks anymore. Because people take off the masks all the time on airplanes to eat and drink. Those are the rules. You're still in this enclosed space. They're recirculating the air all the time. I think that if you have your vaccines and you have, let's say, natural immunity or hybrid immunity, whatever it is, it would be very nice to say, yes, there's a time coming perhaps soon, especially for certain parts of the population, where we can do that again. But that was not Fauci's answer. Fauci's answer was no. And the question also, this is an important piece of analysis here. 
The question was not, we have this Omicron variant that's very, very transmissible, very contagious. We're still clearly dealing with the pandemic and the caseload and all of this. Is it the time now to ease some of these restrictions when it comes to masks on airplanes? Because we've had some airline executives making that case saying, hey, it's time to maybe change the rules. That could have been the question where Fauci would be, I think, on more solid ground or at least more acceptable ground to come back and say, no, not yet. But that's not what he was asked. He was asked an open-ended question. I made this point earlier on Outnumbered when I was co-hosting today on Fox News. He was asked an open-ended question. Are we going to get to a point where we can take the masks off on airplanes again? And his answer to that was no. Now, if he meant during a pandemic or during major case surges or whatever, he should have said that. Instead, it sounded, and I don't think it's a misinterpretation. If you just listen to the question and the answer, it sounded like Fauci was just saying, no, we're never going to get to that point again which is totally unacceptable and totally demoralizing. And part of the reason why I think a lot of people aren't paying attention to him and haven't for quite some time. Because the detractors of Fauci, and I was not always a big anti-Fauci guy. I thought he was criticized too harshly a lot of the time. And sometimes the stuff that people say about him is still over the top, in some cases way over the top. But one of the big knocks on him is that he's kind of enjoying the moment in the spotlight And with his incentives when it comes to relevance and power and influence, a forever pandemic footing benefits his sense of prestige and purpose. And therefore, having this thing drag on and on and on might be in his interest. Now, I think that's a cynical or certainly skeptical take, but he's playing into that take with this answer. I think he might end up cleaning this up. And saying, oh, I meant what I meant was uh, in the pandemic times. But the question, as I say, was not about any specific time period. It was, is there ever? Will there come a point? This could be any time in the future where we don't have to wear masks on planes. I don't think so, says Fauci. Exactly the wrong answer. People are not going to stand for that. Then he also said this, and this is what really, because of course I was on airplanes flying down to Mississippi for this wedding. Then I attended a gathering. In a state that is relatively less faxed than other places, less vaccine uptake in Mississippi. The question broadly for Fauci was about holiday gatherings. And here was part of his guidance in Cut 21. Do not do things like go to gatherings where there are people who you do not know what their vaccination status is. Okay, just stop it right there. Do not go to those gatherings, he said. Do not go to gatherings where there are people there whose vaccine status you don't know. And with all due respect to the doctor, my response to that is no. I did it this past weekend. There were, I don't know, 100, 150 people at this wedding ballpark. I have no idea how many of them were vaccinated or not. Yes, I went to Mississippi where vaccine participation is not at the level that I think a lot of people would like to see myself included. But the decision that I made with a doctor that I trust and with my family and with Adam, and I consulted with the couple, we explained the entire situation. We were very transparent. The decision that we made, the choice that we made based on good data and good science and best practices, I think we went above and beyond, amounted to a rejection of what Fauci said. So the couple, Jim 
and Kaylee. We know both of them quite well. Jim, as a matter of fact, was serving in Afghanistan when Adam and I got married. And he made it a point when he was many miles away from home in harm's way. He made it a point to FaceTime into our wedding during the reception. They pulled me off the dance floor to go say hello to Jim. And it meant so much to me that he thought of that, that he thought to do that while deployed in Afghanistan. He sent an American flag from Afghanistan to this studio. It's right here in the studio. That was from Jim. And Kaylee's terrific. She works on a bunch of campaigns. She's working for Greg Abbott right now. We really care about both of these people. They are kind, caring people. And under the guidance that Fauci gave just yesterday on national television, I just played you a clip of it. Based on that guidance, he would have said, do not go to their wedding. And I'm sorry, I have hybrid immunity, which is a powerful immunity, two shots plus the disease, right? I recovered from the virus. I talked about that with my breakthrough case, very public about it. In fact, Kaylee, the bride, helped take care of me because I was down in Austin, Texas at the time. She very kindly brought a care package to the hotel, dropped it for me, cookies and ice cream. I couldn't really taste them properly at the time because of my COVID, but it's the thought that counts. And she was extremely nice and conscientious. What else did I do? I tested before I got on the airplane to leave D.C., tested negative. I brought a test with me because that was Friday. That was rehearsal dinner day. Then Saturday was the wedding day. I tested again before I went to the wedding. I tested negative again. So you got two shots, a breakthrough case recovery, hybrid immunity, a test before leaving, a test before the rehearsal dinner, a test before the wedding. And to Dr. Fauci, apparently that's not good enough. He just said, don't go to gatherings where you don't know people's vac status. That is not how we can live. That is not how humans are designed to live. It does not make any sense. We have the vaccines. We have a bunch of therapeutics. We have monoclonal antibodies. We have the Pfizer pill, which should be everywhere as soon as possible. I don't know where the Operation Warp Speed is for that from the Biden administration. Get that everywhere. We should have testing readily available. We also don't have that in a lot of places, which is crazy. It should be extremely dirt cheap or free everywhere. And yet two years into this, we still don't have that. Who's president again? The point is, this was not a no-risk decision that we decided to make. We weighed the options. Nothing in life is no risk. I could have had a car accident in the Uber on the way to the hotel. Nothing is no risk. You have to look at the risk profile. You have to look at the situation and make good decisions for yourself. That is what I did going to my friend's wedding. I had a great time. Their band was awesome. Dancing and singing all night. I would not have missed it. I didn't miss it. I would do it all over again to celebrate with Jim and Kaylee and their friends and their families and making new friends. This is what enriches our life. This is a big part of what is so special and amazing about being alive. Living and enjoying life, deepening friendships, making new connections, forging new relationships, celebrating major milestones. We haven't been able to do that together for so long. And now this guy would go on TV and effectively lecture someone like me, I guess, for doing the irresponsible anti-science thing, even though everything I did was based on the best available science in consultation with a doctor. You want a crystal clear example of why a lot of people long ago Stop listening to Dr. Fauci. 
The interview that we just played two clips from is just exhibit A. I'm not saying take no precautions. Ignore anything that he or anyone else says. The problem is when he says the right thing, there's a lot of people no longer listening. Because he does not paint a realistic picture. He does not give realistic off ramps. And he has admitted that he sometimes gives us guidance that is not based on science, but is based on public opinion and what he thinks he can get away with. That is not something that builds credibility. It is something that deeply undermines credibility, and he has done that to himself. So the upshot is be smart. Please get vaccinated if you haven't. Please get a booster shot. If you can get tested before things, that's a good idea. Keep all sorts of things like this in mind. Talk to your doctor. Have a plan. But live your life. You have one life to live. And just shutting down your life again based on this type of dubious thing, it's just I I totally reject it. Congrats, Jim and Kaylee. I'm glad I was there. And I can't wait to see more loved ones for Christmas. The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour continues right after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. It's from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, and producer Christine wants to weigh in here and piggyback off of my monologue from the last segment about not doing insane things, not reacting insanely to the Omicron wave or to other potential developments in the future when it comes to COVID. Christine, what happened in your daughter's school? Oh, hey there, Guy Benson. If you can't tell, I'm working from home again. Um, On Saturday night, my husband and I were enjoying some mama's juice and watching Love Actually, enjoying a Saturday, you know, little quiet before Christmas weekend and we get an email that says sorry folks your school is officially shut down until january 3rd and a few days before that we will let you know if we're going completely virtual so stand by oh and we are not going we're not even going virtual because we were not prepared for that so i hope you enjoy your christmas time with your children merry christmas and happy new year so just schools canceled for the next two weeks with no remote options or anything like that. It's just off. Completely off. There's no even like, go read a book. You know, here's some assignments you could do online, like nothing. And they told us that the teachers were not prepared since it was a weekend. But if you remember last week, Megan was out of school for two days due to her teacher having COVID. Also, how can you not be prepared at this point? In this entire saga, how can you be like caught off guard? Oh, wait, virtual learning. What's that? Of course, it doesn't work very well. But there was a county in Maryland. We talked about this earlier. They've already preemptively announced their classes are closed until January 18th. It is absolutely insane and harmful. And we're just going to keep, I guess, as a society, stepping on the rake over and over and over again until enough people simply say enough or shout enough. And maybe that will need to come in the form of a national election. I don't know. But that's nuts. And I'd say congratulations to the kiddos because you want extra days off from school when you're a kid. But they've had plenty of days off from in-person learning. It has not helped them. This is another disservice. I'd say I can't believe this is happening again, but I can. 
for the reasons that we talk about here all the time. It's the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. Stay tuned. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We return to the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. Glad to have you along. Earlier on the show today, Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, the minority leader in the U.S. Senate. We had a lot to talk about. Kind of a busy weekend in the news. Here's part of my conversation with Senator Mitch McConnell. You know, I would imagine that your Christmas perhaps got a little bit merrier yesterday right around, oh, I don't know, 9, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, when your Democratic colleague, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, appeared on Fox News Sunday with Brett Baer and announced that he's a no on Build Back Better. For anyone who missed it, cut one. Here's what it sounded like. So when you have these things coming at you the way they are right now, uh, I've always said this, Brett, if I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is this is a no. This is a no. Senator McConnell, did you have any inkling that he was going to do that yesterday before he did it? Not an inkling, but a hope. Ironically, at my wrap-up press conference at the end of the session last Thursday, I said the single biggest um, favor Joe Manchin could do the country uh, is to kill this bill. Uh, that's what the country needs to see this bill killed. It is absolutely inappropriate and unnecessary at a time when we're fighting inflation. And we've already uh, showered entirely too much money on the on the government, which helped create the on the country, which helped create the inflation with that uh, American rescue package earlier this year, uh, which, of course, none of my members voted for. So it was it was an exciting thing to hear. It was great shot in the arm for the country. I think it's exactly what the country needed at this particular time. Are you surprised at all by the White House reaction attacking Manchin pretty personally on his integrity, saying that he sort of went back on his word and perhaps this was a betrayal? In your experience, is that a successful persuasion tactic with someone like Manchin? I tell you, the time I've been Republican leader, I never get angry about losing a vote because, you know, the most important vote is always the next vote. So I, I was shocked at the vitriol uh, and basically it seemed to me they were calling Senator Manchin a liar. Um, I, I think that was not smart. This is a 50-50 Senate. Uh, it's going to be 50-50 for another year. Uh, and uh, believe me, that's, that's not that's not the way I would have handled a disappointing vote like this. Well, on that exact note, there was a question posed to Senator Manchin earlier on a radio show about his place within the Democratic Party. His answer, I thought, was very intriguing. Here's the exchange. Cut 27. Is there still a place for you in the Democratic Party? Well, I think so. I would like to hope that there's still Democrats that feel like I do. I feel I'm socially, I'm fiscally responsible and socially compassionate. Now, if there's no Democrats like that, then they have to push me wherever they want me. Then they'll have to push me wherever they want me, sort of firing back at the White House and the progressives, talking about maybe getting tugged in a certain direction. I saw a story just the other day, Senator McConnell, about you and Manchin getting uh, chummier 
in recent days and Democrats sort of fretting about that. Is that true? Have you grown closer with Senator Manchin? And do you think there's a case to be made to him, particularly given what you just called the vitriol from the White House, that maybe given the way his constituents voted in 2016 and 2020, maybe the more natural home for Senator Joe Manchin is in the Republican conference? Well, it won't surprise you, know, God, I've made that argument for, for quite some time to, to show. <laughs> we come from the same part of the country, uh, you know, a lot of similarities between West Virginia and Virginia, including, including our constituencies, which are pretty red these days. Um, I don't know if Joe will ever become a Republican, but I can tell you this for sure. The moderates are gone. There are two left in the Senate, two moderates out of 50. There were more moderate Democrats than Barack Obama was president than there are today. And so it's a completely uncomfortable fit uh, for, for Joe. I think he's probably, for example, the only pro-life Democrat of the 50. Um, he, he, uh, he doesn't fit well over there. But that's a decision ultimately he has to make. Um, we, we certainly welcome them to join us if he were so inclined. Do you think, because you said you've had that conversation, and that's true, I'm sure you've done your best uh, persuasion efforts, maybe not by calling him a liar, for example, but does that conversation change after this vote and the reaction to it, in your view? Well, it makes it look like they don't really want him. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine any other explanation for the uh, for that statement yesterday, which was, um, as I said earlier, summing it up, they basically called uh, Joe Manchin a liar. Senator McConnell, I do want to ask you on a separate subject about a statement. This is not necessarily new. The former president, Donald Trump, puts out statements, written statements all the time, blasting you. He was in public and reiterated that point uh, just the other day. He also was interviewed by Maria Bartiromo yesterday on Fox News Channel. Here's a very quick snippet of what he said, cut 18. Look, Mitch McConnell's a disaster. The Republicans have to get a new leader. He's calling for you to be replaced as Republican Senate leader. Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, he was on Fox News Sunday, not yesterday, but the previous week, and Chris Wallace interviewed him. And at one point, he said this about the nature of leadership within Republican politics these days, cut 19. Donald Trump is the most consequential Republican in the entire Republican Party, maybe in the history of the party since Ronald Reagan. And if you're going to lead this party in the House and the Senate, you have to have a working relationship with Donald Trump or it will not work. Senator, do you agree with Lindsey Graham about someone in your position needing to have a good working relationship with the former president. And given the fact that the former president is saying that you need to be replaced as leader, what's your reaction to that within the context of the point Senator Graham was making? Well, of course, the Senate Republicans decide who their leader is. And if you wrap up the year, we've had a marvelous year. Joe Biden started off uh, over 50 percent. He's now in the low 40s. He just lost his top legislative priority. Uh, We've had a terrific year. The American people have seen what true liberalism looks like. Actually, I think more accurately, what socialism looks like. 
and we're headed toward a very significant midterm election next year, which should, in all likelihood, flip both the House and the Senate uh, to the Republican Party. That full interview with Mitch McConnell, the first national interview that he did after Joe Manchin killed Build Back Better, the whole thing available online for free. GuyBensonShow.com. You can also get it on the free podcast. On demand, no charge to you every day. GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch, a rumor, a very strange rumor about me. I got wind of it a few days ago. I will respond with specificity when we return. It's the home stretch next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Heading up to New York after the show for lots of TV duties in the coming days. It is the most wonderful time of the year. It is Christmas time. We love it. Doing some last minute gift ideas, planning meals and dinner reservations and all of it. And what would Christmas be without a little bit of drama and intrigue? So the other night, Adam started getting a few text messages. We ended up hearing from multiple people. And I guess other people were funneling their questions through this one well-connected person involved in Colorado politics. There was a rumor going around, apparently, that... This person wanted some clarity on. The rumor involved me, your humble host of this fine program, Guy Benson. The rumor was, and I have to try to say this with a straight face, that I was preparing to run for governor of Colorado. (laughs) What? And like my first response, because Adam's like, hey, what is this? I'm getting asked this. I said, do they know that I don't live in Colorado, have never lived in Colorado, have never voted in Colorado? I've been to Colorado. Many times I actually love Colorado. In fact, you might say I love Colorado more than most other states. And I'm just suddenly feeling moved and inspired to say things like, oh, Broncos. But yeah, I've never lived there. I've never voted there. I have no idea how this got started. Maybe some game of like political telephone. But evidently there was a major Republican campaign involved in the governor's race that was at least made aware of this rumor. Then they're asking, is this a threat? Is this you know something we need to neutralize or deal with? And I mean, it is true that I'm going to Colorado after Christmas for a few days. And I don't know, our internal polling is showing it would be an uphill battle, given my lack of being from Colorado. You never know, though. You know, the polling can improve. It doesn't matter where you start in the polls. The only poll that matters is on Election Day. That's what I've always said, especially about Colorado politics. So maybe when I'm out there in Colorado, I can consult with my team. We can do some more focus groups beyond what we've already done. By the way, go Rockies. I just want to throw that in there. Talk to some of my fundraisers. We're doing a a Christmas party is what my in-laws are calling it, but one might argue that it's a fundraiser. 
with our 14 biggest heavy hitter would-be donors. I'm calling them, just apropos of nothing, my 14ers. And then if there were, you know, hypothetically smaller donors, I might ask them to pitch in $52.80 just to pick a completely random number connected to nothing at all. It's not a mile-high price. It's a reasonable price to invest in the Benson for Governor campaign in the state where I don't live. Go Avalanche, by the way. Terrific. Always loved the Avalanche. Even when they were beating my Devils in the Stanley Cup Finals. Just because their fans are such wonderful people. People from Colorado are wonderful people. Really the best, if you think about it. Plus, if I were to ever run for something, I'd want to study it very carefully. And do it on a rigorous basis. And where better to study something than at an amazing public university like CU Boulder. Or Colorado State University. Just to... Name a few colleges, again, at complete random. So this is something that I'll have to talk through with my 14ers at my non-fundraiser. Maybe pour through some of the responses in our focus groups and internal polling. Have I mentioned, just incidentally, just quick side note, even though I rail against the NBA sometimes on this show, And I talk about how I'm not a fan of the NBA for all sorts of different reasons. Have I ever noted that there's actually a very important exception to that? Not just Enos Cantor Freedom of the Boston Celtics, but as a team, a franchise, I've always really admired and been passionate about the Nuggets. You know, it it occurs to me that I've never made that point before on the year. I just want to throw that out there. But yeah, it it would be, I think, when we go through all of that data and we talk to our consultants It would be a Hail Mary pass, but you know who can throw a Hail Mary pass? My personal hero, John Elway. I'm hearing many people are saying that I'm sort of the John Elway of Colorado politics, minus living there, of course, or doing anything on behalf of the people of Colorado ever. So I don't know where this rumor started. I found it absolutely hilarious. It has no basis in fact whatsoever, at least as of now, how can I say this? I am not anticipating at this time moving to Colorado to seek office of any sort, be it governor or anything else. And should that change, you'll be the first to know. Well, I mean, aside from the team that I'm assembling and our top fundraisers, get some key endorsements lined up. No, I'm not running for anything anywhere. I find it absolutely hilarious that somehow it got into the bloodstream on any level. Colorado politics that I'd be trying to run for governor. If nominated, I would not run. If elected, I would not serve. I don't think I'm eligible. I don't want to run for anything anywhere ever. I think I'm probably unelectable. In the first place, right? I'm too moderate or too whatever, and then I'm going to be a right winger to other people. It's just like it's too much. And also, the constant fundraising and begging people for money, it's just not appealing in any way, shape, or form to me. My mother-in-law did swear up and down. She's like, I promise you I did not start this rumor. I'm sure I, I would sometime at some point do like a deep dive into how that got started. 
like a forensic audit of how this whisper campaign began. But I thought we would have a little bit of fun with it here in the segment. Not running for governor. Certainly not in Colorado or anywhere else, not running for any public office. I am very happy right here on the radio, on TV, writing at Town Hall, part of the Fox News team. This is where I'm meant to be. This is where I get a great deal of fulfillment, and I'm not going anywhere. As long as they'll have me, and as long as you'll have me, I'll be right here. And in case they're listening, and I don't want to make any sort of formal endorsement, I don't know if there's other serious folks running in that primary or that whole process out there, but go Heidi. I'll just say that. Okay. So if you're one of the people who's actually running for governor in Colorado, you can reassign your trackers. You can stop production on the attack ads against me. It's not happening. So I will be going to Colorado after Christmas. I will be having cocktails and wine and dinners with my family and friends and loved ones and my in-laws and the whole thing. And I will be coming back to the state where I live, to do this job. Oh, man. So amusing. I got a big kick out of it. Christine burst out laughing. Christine, would you vote for me? Uh, Of course I would vote for you. But, I mean, that's not really the question that I want answered. I'm just wondering what role in the administration would Cookie play? (laughs) Well, actually, it's a very little-known element of Colorado state law It's the only state in the whole country where there is an official state jester, like a court jester. It's the only state that has it. So I think there'd be a built-in role. You know, it's a little boring day at the governor's mansion. It's like ring a little bell and then have Cookie come dancing in to perform. And just to make a point about who's really in charge, I'd probably have a little sidekick for you, a pony. Back here tomorrow on The Guy Benson Show from New York for the next couple of days. For TV, we will talk to you then from the Big Apple. And although I always love a long drink, sometimes you just got to go crack open a Coors Light. I'll do that. Talk to you tomorrow. everybody, it's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.